Welcome to the Bridging Theology podcast, which connects scholarship to Christian life. Bridging Theology is hosted by Drs. Beth Stovell, Claudia Herrera Montero, Kevin Hill, Ryan Reed, and me, Candace Smith. Today's episode features a conversation with Dr. Chloe Sun. Chloe is professor of Old Testament and academic dean at Logos Evangelical Seminary, and she is a specialist in the Old Testament and hermeneutics. She recently published Conspicuous in His Absence, Studies in the Song of Songs in Esther, published by IVP Academic in 2021. Our hosts today are Beth Stovell, who specializes in biblical studies, and Claudia Herrera Montero, who specializes in practical theology. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to it, leave a rating in your podcast player, or consider sharing it with others through social media. And now, on with the conversation. Thanks, Candice, and thank you for listening. I'm Beth Stavall. And I am Claudia Herrera. Today, we're very pleased to have with us Chloe Sun. Chloe, welcome to the Bridging Theology Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So uh, we would like to start with an icebreaker question. Uh, so um, we were so excited to read your biography but we would like to hear a little bit more about something interesting about yourself most people do not know. Okay. Well, I have a dog channel. Um, I like watching dog videos and I subscribe to a few of them. <laughs> That's one way to relax and to feel like, oh, there is another world out there. And I used to be afraid of dogs. So hmm. turning out to become a dog lover is a miracle for me. <laughs> and I have a dog. Yeah. What kind of dog do you have? He's a mix uh, of a golden retriever and corgi. Oh, he sounds so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I can show you his picture. <laughs> that is wonderful. Uh, Chloe, maybe what are some of the hobbies or activities you do when you are not teaching? Mm-hmm. I enjoy traveling. Um, I like watching movies. Um, I have a. Mm-hmm. I usually watch Netflix. I don't know if Canada has the same thing. We do, yeah, yeah. yeah you mm-hmm. do. Okay, so I can give you my top ten Netflix movie list. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I watch all kinds of Netflix you know, in all different languages. So that's one of my way of um, having me time and to uh, not think about work. How many languages do you know? Know or speak? Oh, uh, that's <laughs> I, I've learned. Ten, way. <laughs> I've learned ten languages. You know, in the in Old Testament, we have to learn a lot of like a lot of languages. Mm-hmm. But I usually speak three: Cantonese, Mandarin, and English. Mm. That's so amazing. <laughs> and I teach I teach Hebrew, but it's it's not as um, you know it's more for reading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, so something I really appreciate about you, Chloe, you're this unique mix of a scholar and an administrator in your role as a professor of Old Testament, and you're also an academic dean. Um, and as I, as we just talked about, you actually write and teach in multiple languages to different audiences. Could you share a little bit about your journey that led you here? 
Sure. Yeah. It, it's a long journey. I didn't plan to become who I am. I can't say it just happened, um, but uh, for the administrative part or the academic dean part, it's a new journey. I just started uh, last year. So this is my second year. And after you're, you've been teaching in an institution for a while and you have sort of established yourself in your discipline, people will look up to you. And then uh, when they discover that you can do administration, they will put you up in a certain place. And so at this time, I see the, the academic dean part as a season of my life. It's not going to be forever. I don't think that's my vocational call, but my institution needs me in this season. So I am taking up the challenge. And for the writing and the teaching part, um, let me just share about my um, my strength, my strengths, because I, I did a test. It's called the Strength Finder. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. Mm -hmm. So it's a professional test. And then after you, you go through this test, they'll give you the top, your five, top five strengths. And so my top five strengths, first one is I'm a learner, and then I'm, I'm very disciplined. I am achiever, and then I'm an intellect, meaning I like to think. And then the last one is I, I'm harmonious. I like harmony. Mm. And so when you put all those together, a learner, an achiever, intellection, discipline, what do you get? You get a you get a scholar, you get someone who who enjoy writing and publishing and you know achieving in in, in a certain area, and then the harmony part is more the relational part. So I also enjoy uh, people, even though I am more of an introvert. And so all those strengths together kind of um, shaped who I am today. And those are more like the internal factors. And, on, and then there are also the external factors, like the institution that I'm at. Um, it kind of shaped me who I am today. At what stage in your life did you realize that being a scholar is what you wanted to do? Okay, it's a gradual um, discernment process. First of all, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to be a missionary or a pastor or any kind of ministry that I would be able to serve uh, people and use my gifts. I wasn't sure at first. So it was a long and gradual process. I think it was when I took Hebrew that I found out that I, I fell in love with Hebrew. And then most of my students or classmates, they, they found it very hard like studying Hebrew, you know, they feel very stressed, but I just enjoy it so much. And because of that, I started to love the Old Testament. And it was at that point, I started praying, you know, God, did you call me to go into a teaching ministry? And so gradually, you know, after MDiv and then THM and then PhD and then started teaching. So it, it, it's around my MDiv time that I realized. One of the things I've appreciated about your research and your writing is what you're writing on Asian American and cultural hermeneutics. As you know, I even cited you recently in an article because it was it's such profound work. Could you share a little bit about what you see to be some of the key elements of these forms of hermeneutics and how you see that shaping the Old Testament or an understanding of the Old Testament? Okay. Thank you, Beth, and thank you for appreciating my work. Um 
Well, the Asian and Asian American hermeneutics is a form of reading the scripture. And this form of reading the scripture takes the reader's social location into consideration, into serious consideration. So it, it's a kind of reading that's reading against the grain. For example, if we read the story of David, Bathsheba, and Uriah, most people will focus on David. But then for Asian and Asian American hermeneutics, we tend to focus on the minority characters, such as Uriah or um, Bathsheba, because um, Asian American is a minority in, in North America. And so we, we identify with those characters in the Bible. And then um, the Asian American hermeneutics is also biographical or autobiographical. So it takes the reader's experience into account. So when we read the scripture, we're trying to find the common experience, uh, the minority experience or the marginal experience or the liminal experience that the biblical characters experience, which form um, a parallel with our own context in our own experiences. And then there is a conversation or dialogue between the reader's world and the scriptural world. And then in that interaction, it creates new meaning. And so the scripture informs the current context of our social location and identity. And then our own social location and identity also um, helps us to read the scripture in a certain way. And then there is um, the power dynamics in the scripture and also the voice and the voiceless. All those things become um, themes or subjects that Asian American hermeneutics try to explore. Wow, this is fascinating, Chloe, because as I hear about uh, you, your work and the importance of social location and lived experience, I think about my work as a Latina practical theologian in the United States and how important the reader's experience uh, in, in dialogue with the author experience. It's such a wonderful conversation for new knowledge, for new meaning. Yeah. So I was, and that's why I'm, I was so interested about your uh, work and as, a, as an Asian uh, American, but also I was interested about your research, particularly reconsidering the bridge metaphor for 1.5 generation. Mm -hmm. uh, could you please share more about this piece on your research? Sure, yeah. Uh, first of all, are, are you familiar with 1.5 generation? You know, Yes. Okay. Well, but it'd just, be good to explain for our readers, our right, listeners. Right. So for those who are not familiar with this term, 1.5 is in between one and two. So one uh, refers to the first generation immigrants usually. And then the, the two refers to the second generation, usually those generations uh, who, are, who are born in, in the U.S. or in, the North, in North America and who grew up here. So for me as an in-between person, I'm close to 1.5 generation. Um, so I'm not quite, I am an immigrant, but I'm a young immigrant when I first uh, came to the to the States. And then, um, but I wasn't born or raised in the States. So I'm, I'm not two, I'm not one, I'm in between. So I'm, I'm 1.5. And in the church context, historians or missiologists will say that the 1.5 generation is the bridge generation because they know both cultures. They know both first generation and second generation. And usually they're bilingual. They know both whatever language you speak, native language, and then the, and then English. And so they can connect both generations and they can, they can form a bridge in that sense. But then in my research, I find out that 
being a bridge, its function is to connect both sides. But then what if either side does not have the desire to connect? What if they want to stay in their bubble? Uh, they feel comfortable you know, being first generation or being the second generation. They don't want to cross the bridge. Then the bridge is meaningless or irrelevant. And so in, in this research, I'm trying to point out the limit or the limitations of this bridge metaphor. So it's great to connect, but it depends on whether the other sides, both sides, want to connect and to cross the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I use Moses as an example. You know, he, especially, um, let's see, Exodus chapter two, you know, Moses um, grew up in the Egyptian court. He wanted to also care for his own kin, uh, the Hebrew uh, people. And so when he saw an Egyptian hitting a Hebrew slave, he um, took justice into his own hand and he struck, he struck the, the Egyptian down. And so at, at the end of his actions, his own people, the Hebrews, did not accept him as their own. And then the Egyptian people wanted to, you know, the Pharaoh wanted to kill him. So Moses ended up neither here nor there. He may, he may want to be a bridge connecting both. I don't know. Maybe he just wanted to save his people. And yeah, I'm not sure. But then at the end, you know, it, it just it didn't work for him. Not until God intervened. Mm-hmm. And then started a new um, journey for Moses. Mm-hmm. That is so wonderful. I've been thinking so much lately about the journey of Moses as well. Like never able to identify if he really belonged to the Hebrews or he really belonged to the Pharaoh's family, right? mm-hmm. the Egyptians, mm-hmm. and yeah. the constant tension of living in between those two worlds. Right, you know, the right. world of his people, the chosen people, mm-hmm. and the world in which he grew up, mm-hmm. was formed, was raised. So this is fascinating how you yeah. bring the story with the 1.5 generation and metaphor that I'm completely sure will be so helpful for our listeners. This moved me to the next question as well, which is about, we continue talking about the stories and the narratives of the Old Testament. Particularly, I want to go back a little bit to the book of Genesis. I'm interested in Genesis literature, particularly the creation stories. Uh, Would you be able to give us some insight or ideas on how to creatively teach young people, uh, particularly college students or a little bit younger than that? Why not high school students about this topic today? And from your own approach, what practical wisdom can they learn from this topic today? And how can the creation stories provide insight uh, to their everyday life? Okay, thank you, Claudia, for the question. I love the book of Genesis, especially the creation story, because that's the beginning of everything. So I actually, I have taught high school um, people at my church about Genesis. And one way to teach them is to inform, give them information about this, uh, about uh, the creation story, chapter one, and how God's world is an orderly world and, and our place in, in, in God's creation. But then I also uh, would want the young people to teach this book creatively as well. So I, I've let them be creative and form groups and then do their own teaching. 
based on my teaching. So when I when I feel like I, I I'm lacking the creativity, I'll just ask them to do something creative. <laughs> um, so that's one way, I guess, uh, when you run out of ideas. And another way is for Genesis chapter two, I would have the young people using Play-Doh. You know, Play-Doh, the it's a it's a art or game that you can shape, dif- make different shapes. Yeah, like the like clay. A doll, like a clay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can use that to make a, a man. And then I use, um, you know, popsicle, the popsicle sticks. I collect those too, because there is a brand name called Chloe. So I collect a lot of them. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I, I use those sticks and then I have the young people build, build up a woman. Because in Hebrew, the word uh, for God making man is the word form, right? God formed Adam out of a clay. So I asked him to build the clay and ask them about the process of, mm-hmm. of, of molding that clay into a human form. And that's how God made man. And then for women, God used the word build, right? Build a woman, fashion into a, a woman. So I used the pop, uh, popsicle sticks and asked them to to build a woman so that's just some fun fun ways for them to see oh men and women are different and but both are made in the image of god and then ask them some questions discussion questions about how they view their own gender because right now you know in our world gender is a very contested issue and a lot of times um young people may not just take whatever the bible says into their own lives um and so i i think Teaching Genesis 2 about identity, about gender roles, um, will help the young people to see God's view of gender. That's so interesting. Um, Chloe, I'd be really interested in what you find challenging about the Old Testament and what you find beautiful about the Old Testament. I like this question. What's challenging about the Old Testament is one one of the challenges is the violence mm-hmm. uh, in the Old Testament. You know, there are a lot of killing, genocide, um, the killing of the Canaanites, for example. Those things are very hard for, um, for us readers to understand in our days. And how do we make sense of those stories? So that's one of the challenging part. And another challenging um, issue about the Old Testament is what 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 is its center or does it have a center hmm. this is about old testament theology right in what ways can we organize the themes of the old testament into a coherent whole which will encompass all the complexities and diversities in it i'm not sure if there is a way <laughs> yet because there are different ways to organize the themes and there are different ways to study the old testament I think that's the challenging part, but also the fun part. What's beautiful about the Old Testament? I I love the the stories, the different genres, you know, poetry, narrative, genealogy, laws, and then um, the most of all is I love Hebrew, the language, and then I love the the God that He reveals, even though it poses challenge uh, challenges about God's character. But I I um I desire to know God through the Old Testament. That's my life's mission. Hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I, I find that 
that combination of the language itself, uh, teaching Hebrew and studying Hebrew uh, has been such a beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. And I, that interesting space where on the one hand, there's so much that is challenging in teaching the Old Testament and understanding it. It is so deeply ingrained in this ancient culture that's so different from ours and yet continues to speak in these fresh ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, like you, I, I think that the broad diversity of different kinds of writings, different kinds of genres is part of what makes it fun to read. Mm-hmm. It's, yes. it's, it's new. It's challenging in that way, but it's also new all the time in some mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> Before we move into some uh, intermission fun questions, um, we would like to ask you as we begin to transition uh, if you had to be a scholar of something besides the Bible, uh, we're talking about the Bible, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about all these genres. Uh, what academic discipline would you have chosen if it would be something different besides mm-hmm. the Bible? It's a great question. I would choose church history. I like stories and church history are stories about real people in the past and how they are a part of God's story as well. Mm. Uh, can I say one more thing? Uh, yes, history, I'm also interested in spirituality, but I don't know if there is a scholar of spirituality. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm I, I'm interested in uh, Christian spirituality and Catholic spirituality. Mm-hmm. What, what what would you call that? Uh, spiritual theology. So I mean, okay, that's that's, that's that's an area. That's actually one of the things I studied in my master's degree was spiritual really? theology and the history of spirituality. Yeah, um, and there's different versions of that. And it would be called something different within like Catholic theology has a different name for it than mm-hmm. like evangelical theology generally does. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's uh, at least one of the categories is spiritual theology um, okay. as an area. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to be, to have another PhD in that. <laughs> you have time and effort. Someday Chloe will have three or four PhDs. <laughs> She'll point back to this podcast and go, remember when I said I wanted more PhDs. (laughs) Um, Now we get to some of the fun questions, although I hope all of these have already been kind of fun. (laughs) If you won an all-inclusive vacation to anywhere in the world and, you know, without a pandemic in mind, um, (laughs) where would you go? Okay, great question. You know, I have a bucket list. Um, I'll show you. Oh, you can't really see. Um, so, oh. I, I, so I wrote down the countries, places I wanted to go. This is my happy happiness journal. Okay, I'll just read it. Okay. <laughs> I love to go to Scotland, of which I'm going next week. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I like to visit Rome, Italy, mm-hmm. um, Korea. I haven't been there. In uh, Switzerland, Austria, Panama, Greece, Norway, Sweden, Iceland, Venus. Okay, that's it. Wow. <laughs> I, I love add. it. <laughs> I can add I can add more. <laughs> that is a wonderful list. That's a lot of great places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I always think this is a complicated question for biblical scholars to ask, but if you had a book, one book in biblical studies, or maybe a few books in biblical studies that you would encourage everyone to read, what would that be? And maybe I might reframe that. What is one book recently you read that you thought, Wow, I would love other people to read this book. Hmm. Okay. Um, it's a great question. Um, I probably probably need more time to think about it. But um, one of the books I, 
I think would be Knowing God um, by J.I. Packer. So that's one of the books that kind of um, changed changed my perspective about God and makes it my mission to know God through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, um, through the scripture that um, that it reviews. And so that's that's one uh, one book. And another one, let's see, recently, the books I read is very particular. Um, I'm doing a research on Song of Songs, uh, the reception of Song of Songs in the um, in in the in the Chinese context. Mm-hmm. So I've so I've been reading this book, but I don't know if it will be interesting for everyone. It's just it's interesting for me. Okay, it's called Yearning for God mm-hmm. and Psalms and Song of Songs in conversation with rock and worship songs. But anyways, it is this is more for for me, um, but not sure if it's for everyone. So. Mm-hmm. Another one would be what I'm reading is Exodus Old and New, because right now I'm writing a commentary on Exodus, and I find this book very re- refreshing in its perspective. For example, it talks about the Red, the Red Sea as um, slaying the sea dragon. Mm. Anyways, using very um, refreshing terms to look at the familiar story. I was going to say two things. One, uh, knowing God, J.I. Packer's book is part of how I ended up doing my master's degree where I did because J.I. Packer was teaching there. Wow. He, he actually ended up being on my uh, master's thesis committee. Wow. And so, yeah, so that actually was such an important book in my life too. Um, and the second book, um, I actually use rock worship music uh, for my Psalms course wow. and as, as we talk about the reception of the Psalms. Uh-huh. And so yeah. one of the things I do is um, I do sessions where we do three or four different kinds of interpretations of the Psalms and music. Um, and we actually even have one that's kind of always freaks, is always surprising the students because it has, um, we do a Gregorian chant version a, a contemporary worship and one that's heavy metal <laughs> of, the, of the same Psalm. So uh, I probably would enjoy that book. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I enjoy reading it. Well, thank you, Chloe. Uh, what is the best compliment you have ever gotten? <laughs> okay. Um, if someone says to me, um, you are a beautiful person inside and out. Oh, I think who wouldn't want who wouldn't want to hear that, right? Mm-hmm. I think I might. Yeah, I got it once or twice. Absolutely, <laughs> it's definitely true. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Thank you. <laughs> if you could have coffee or tea with any historical or biblical figure, who would you choose? Hmm. You know, at first I thought about Jesus, but then I thought, oh. Would I be intimidated by his presence? Uh, and then say, oh, no, no, okay, okay. I, I want to have tea with Esther because mm. I want to see how beautiful she is and how her journey is, you know, from an orphan into becoming a queen of Persia. Esther and Moses, I like to interview mm. him or have tea Very or coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if you could eat one meal, for the rest of your life, what would that meal be? <laughs> okay, after I answer your uh, question, uh, can I ask you the same question? Because I'm sure. really curious. Oh, one meal for the rest of my life, you know? I can't think of any, but I can say this. I love eggs, 
hard boiled eggs with、uh, some salt, and I'm having it every day if I can. So that this has been tested. <laughs> other other meals, I'm not sure. I have to try it, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe I can have McDonald's、um, McMuffin, egg McMuffin in the morning every day. <laughs> But I haven't tried it every day, so I I can't really say it. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm required to answer, and then Claudia, you have to answer too.、Um, <laughs> I eat. I I think I eat something that's like. A meat with a vegetable with rice every day. Like I think I almost eat that almost every day. Some version of that. So it's like、yeah. all different kinds of rice or quinoa, all different kinds of like, like usually like we do salmon or I really like fish,、um, and I love love love、uh, like all different kinds of red peppers and green peppers and all of that. I'm Texan, so those are like my favorite kinds of vegetables.、Mm-hmm. So if I think. If I had to, I'd probably have some combination in like a some kind of stir fry. Probably、okay. it'd be like a Tex-Mex stir fry, which would、okay. be very typical of how we eat. <laughs> so <laughs> that's、okay. my kids would probably guess that that's what we would eat. What about you, Claudia? I'm thinking about cheese. I love cheese, you know, like and, and I put cheese in everything, you know, <laughs> and 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 I'm thinking about an element of those things that I eat and I consume、uh, daily. Uh, I'm thinking cheese、um, uh, as one,、uh, but also I I I could live with fruit, you know, like any kind of fruit. I love fruits, and also I like I love fish. So I'm in between those two somehow. <laughs>、okay. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I like this question. I, I like I like I enjoy food, and I I think I can talk more about it. But anyways, any egg dish will do. <laughs> We're going to move to the second half of our conversation,、um, where we're really focused on the Old Testament and the church, and I think Claudia is going to take us there. So I'm、um, I'm curious about female characters of the Old Testament.、Uh, so I was very interested to ask you what female characters or character of the Old Testament would be able to speak and provide insight about the role of women in the church and faith communities、uh, and today, and what can we learn from them? Okay, great question.、Um, about ten years ago, I've written a chapter on Bathsheba. What does her silence and voice have implications for faith communities? And so,、um, from her story, you know, she was first、um, very silent; she didn't say much in the narrative. And later on, in First Kings, she became very vocal、uh, for her for her son. And so,、um, from her character, I see there's a transformation,、um, and that transformation. And I I think has a lot to do with Bathsheba being a mother later on.、Mm. And so as a mother, you know, we have this different energy、uh, to protect our son and to think the best ways to pave the way for our children. And that,、um, in my own context, I used to be a very shy person. I am still an introvert.、Um, But not as shy as before, so I I could identify with Bathsheba's silence in the past, and how I became more vocal is because I am not just thinking about myself, but I'm thinking about my community of women, and just like a mother thinking about her son and trying to protect her and pave the way for her son. So, if we can learn from a journey of Bathsheba, how she became more vocal. Because she loves her son, then if we have a community of 
people who we are mentoring, then I think we can become more vocal for the sake of them as well. Mm. So that's、Thank、one、you. character. Another will be Esther. You know, she tried to hide her Jewish identity at first, and then later on,、uh, when the time comes, she becomes so courageous. And then she said, "You know, if I perish, I perish." So, from her story, we can also、uh, see how、um, identity formation works, and how when it's time to choose to do what is right, or when it's time to do. Something for our community,、uh, we can put our own agenda、uh, under under that bigger purpose. And so, what I'm trying to say is that the role of women in the church and faith communities、um, is not an isolated position. We need to see ourselves as a part of a bigger community and our role in that community, and to do the best for that community. Oh, that's so wonderful, Chloe. One of the things I find really powerful about that is that I think the academic world and even sometimes the Christian world、um, can teach us to to kind of almost vie for position or、mm. try and reach for power or or for、uh, to be noticed、um, mm. as though it's really about、um, us getting our name in front or our space in front.、Mm-hmm. And I think there's something so powerful about thinking about how. How I gain my voice so that I can speak in a、mm. way that honors the community and builds the community around me, not、yeah. just for myself, but for、mm-hmm. those for those around me to impact those around me.、Yeah. Um, I know for me, Esther, because、um, I'm a Christian who is also Jewish.、Um, Esther's story has always been such a profound story in my life. When I ask the question, like, should I? When I feel afraid, should I risk? Should、mm. I risk speaking? Um, mm-hmm. In hard situations, and her courage to speak on behalf of her community for、mm-hmm. her community,、um, even if it meant maybe some some fear of what would happen to her,、mm-hmm. um, I just feel like it's such a profound picture of one of the ways that women can、uh, multiply our power in the right way、mm-hmm. to care for others, and so、yeah. that's just so helpful. Yeah, yeah, great, great、um, insights. I love Esther. That actually leads me to my next question.、Um, you know, we one of your recent books, Conspic- "Conspicuous in His Absence," explores the seeming absence of God in Song of Songs and in Esther. I would love to hear how you decided to write on the topic, and what did you learn about God from writing that book?、Hmm. Well, I've been teaching for、um, quite some time、uh, Old Testament theology, and when I Teach Old Testament theology. I discovered that most people will focus on the bigger stories, you know, the salvation history, covenants, those bigger themes. But then、uh, the books of Song of、uh, Song of Songs and Esther are usually overlooked、uh, in this bigger picture. And so, as I said earlier, you know, when I do Asian American hermeneutics, I tend to focus on the minority characters.、Mm-hmm. And Song of Songs and Esther, in a way, they are like minority women in the biblical canon. Minority in the sense that they are not big books, like Isaiah or. Genesis or Exodus, they are smaller books, and because the name、um, of God、um, is not explicitly mentioned in these two books, and so how do we do Old Testament theology, or how do we know God out of these two books? Those are my questions、uh, at first, and so that、um, started the project, and 
And what did I learn about God through these two books? Well, if these two books are not in the Bible, I think they can stand alone. And, and we may not know um, God the way we do now because these two books are in the scripture. And so if they're a part of the biblical canon, then they must um, have something to do with God, even though the God's name is not there explicitly. So what I learned is that, you know, our God is mysterious and he's dynamic. A lot of times he may not work so visibly like um, how he works in the book of Genesis or Exodus, you know, talking to people. Um, but then uh, in these two books, we find a silent God or even a God who works behind the scenes. And a lot of times our own world is like that. And so if we can embrace these two books as a part of who God is or how God works in human lives, then we can see a bigger or fuller picture of who God is and embrace his hiddenness and silence as a part of our journey with him. As you've studied the Old Testament, um, how has that helped you to grow in your own faith? Hmm. You know, when we study the New Testament, we focus on Jesus, you know, the Gospels or the Pauline letters. But then in the Old Testament, we tend to see God in colors, in his multifaceted actions and attributes. And so how do we grow in my own? How do I grow in my own faith is to know this God and what his desires are for humanity and how I can grow in my relationship with him. So knowing God and how do I relate to him, uh, it is a part of how I grow my faith. Mm -hmm. How has your research enriched your spiritual life and vice versa? How has your spirituality informed mm -hmm. or infused your research? Um, I don't know about you. For me, I, I always feel empty if I don't have the word of God in my life. And so I have this habit of doing morning devotionals. You know, I read one or two chapters of the Hebrew text. Right now I'm reading the book of Deuteronomy. And then I actually colored my Bible. Um, well, anyways, that's another story. So during my research, I, I always want to know God. I think that's, that's the longing that I have since I became a Christian. And that whatever research I do, somehow I hope it will connect to uh, how I can grow in my knowledge of God. Uh, and that, in turn, will enrich my spiritual life to revere God, to love God in return by loving people. Mm. This is very profound. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you, Claudia. I want to follow up on the coloring your Bible. It sounds like that's an interesting story. <laughs> I'll show can we, you. Can I'll you tell? You. Okay, we can try and tell uh, tell our listeners what we see when we see your colored Bible. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, it's all different colors. Like yeah. there's different words. Can you yeah. talk about that? So when you when I see the word of God, uh, like Adonai or Elohim, I color red. When I see people's names, I hear Moshe or personal names, Aharon. Aaron, a color deep green. When I see B'nai Israel, like the Israelites people groups, a color light green. And then um, let's see, blue will be animals. And then yellow will be numbers. And brown, if you see brown, will be place names. 
Yeah. So this way, it's it's, oh, wow. it's so fun in reading in reading the Bible. But I have to confess, I haven't colored all my Hebrew Bible yet. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a project I'll, I'll I'll keep working on. Wow, I love that. <laughs> so you know, we've talked a lot about um, how the Bible, your study, your research, as well as the Old Testament itself, has enriched your faith. When you think about how how the Old Testament um, helps other people, like helps Christians. Um, how do you see the Old Testament enriching other people's faith, helping them to grow in their faith? Mm. Yeah, it's going back to my earlier response about knowing God. You know, how do we grow in our faith? One way is to know the God of the Old Testament. Um, the more we know God, the more we can grow in our relationship with him and know how we should respond to him and his desires for humanity. And that's one way we can grow in our faith. There's so much about God in the Old Testament, and I'm still in the process of knowing him through the Old Testament. You mentioned earlier that you've done some teaching with high schoolers in your church. Mm -hmm. What are some other ways that you shared um, your faith with maybe everyday Christians? I share how I became a Christian with them. Um, a, a quick story would be, um, okay, me, my brother, my parents, that, that's my family of origin, uh, four, four of us. I'm the first Christian in my family. Mm -hmm. And then after I became a Christian, I shared the gospel uh, with my mom and my brother. And my mom later on became a Christian as well. And my brother, um, who became a Christian as well, so I'm the one who planted the seed in their lives and God made them grow. And my brother is a pastor now. Um, and my dad um, was the last person who became a Christian on his deathbed. Uh, and it was my brother who shared the gospel with him. So it's like we're coming into a full circle. So when I share my my own story of conversion and how each, each of them, my mom, how my mom became a Christian, how my brother became a Christian, and how my dad became a Christian, I think people will feel like, oh, this, this faith is real, you know? It's 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 real. But yeah, you can, just can't de deny it. Um, that, that's one way, share my own stories. And, and I also share how during my seminary days, I was a poor seminary student and I struggled financially and how God has provided my uh, finance uh, through different people um, and some of them mirac miraculous stories so I think sharing um, God's work in my life also helps young people to see that hey this faith is not um, their parents faith this is this is real you know yeah that's so beautiful Chloe thank you so much thank well you. thank you Chloe it's been such a, a pleasure talking to you today and um, we just thank you again for joining us. Um, we're so thankful you said yes to being on Bridging Theology. And uh, we we wish you all the best in, in all the different parts of your life. Thank you, Beth. And thank you, Claudia, for your time and for your wonderful questions. I enjoy our time together. Thank you, Chloe. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit our website at bridgingtheology.com. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe to it in your podcast player, rate it, or share it with others. This episode was produced by Kevin Hill.